Today, we are wrapping up the series in the book of Proverbs. Next week, uh, we start a new series starting September 4th called Intentions. We're looking at the life of Jesus through the book of Mark. So we're going to spend quite a long season in the book of Mark. Uh, I love Mark because it's got this like immediacy and urgency to it, but uh, we felt a deep call to say, man, we want to come back to, look at, re-engage, be as invested po- as possible in the life of Jesus, and felt like the book of Mark would give us the platform for doing that. But today is our last Sunday focused on wisdom literature, specifically in Proverbs. And by way of conclusion, my goal this morning is to kind of wrap up the series with a final question. And the reason for the question is kind of born out of my own personal experience with the book of Proverbs. Uh, I have personally been so challenged, moved, um, so much of my life, Proverbs has played a significant role, I believe, in my spiritual development. And um, I have found myself on the learning end of so many little pithy Proverbs that somehow alter the direction of your life. I'll give you an example or two of what I mean. I remember I had just graduated college. Uh, They give you a diploma that you earned, then they send you into pastoral ministry, and they don't basically tell you that anything that you studied really has nothing to do with everything you're going to do, and that most of what you have to do, they've never trained you for. That's what it felt like. And so I entered into pastoral ministry, and I remember sitting down with one of my mentors, and I was about to enter into a really hard conversation. Now, I'm 21 years old, meeting with like a group of parents in their 40s that are frustrated about something, or I don't even remember the scenario, but I was like, this is not going to go well super nervous. I had all this like internal angst. And I remember describing that to my mentor and saying, man, I need so much wisdom. I don't even know what to do. And he said, have you ever read this proverb, Proverb 28.1, which says, it will be on the screen, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I remember he said to me, he said, do you have any reason to flee? Is there anything that you've done? Anything that you have, uh, as you walk into this, have you not walked into it with humility? Have you not put the other's interests ahead of your own? Is there something that would make you need to back down a little or to flee? No. Okay. Great then the righteous are as bold as a lion. So you walk in with confidence because to the best of your intentions, you're trying to do what is best for a group of kids. And so just walk in with confidence, walk in with boldness. And I have to this very day, even this week, used that exact proverb as I walked into a meeting, right? Because the righteous can be with great intention, bold as a lion, to be confident. Proverbs have this way of like reminding you of what is central. I'll give you another example. Do you ever find yourself, don't have to give a show of hands, but do you ever find yourself exhausted, 
tired. No energy, it feels like, for someone else in your life. At a point where you're like, man, if I have to give one more ounce of energy to something or someone, I don't know if I have it left in me. And right in that moment, do you ever experience that it feels like that's when someone asks you to give a little bit more or to come to the party even when you don't want to see a human soul at all? They still want you to come. Or you find yourself like, like, I can't give any more. And they're like, hey, if you could just help out, give, serve, do, whatever. If you have found yourself in that place, I remember being there and was told this proverb. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. In another version it says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I have found almost with complete confidence over and over and over and over that proverb to be true. At a moment when I'm like, I have nothing left to give, I read that proverb, I remind myself of that proverb, and I say, okay, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So if that is my goal, then I have to trust that God will return it, right? And Almost to 100%, obviously it's a proverb, so no proverb is like 100%, but almost to 100% every single time when I have needed to give out, I have come back more refreshed. Maybe you've even said that to yourself. You go to the party, you're kind of tired, you didn't want to go, and you come back and you go, man, that was exactly what I needed. Or you extend an extra hand of service to something and you're like, wow, I was so encouraged by that effort. Or I gave when I didn't really want to, and I got to participate in something that God did that was miraculous. So he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And what I found is that the more that I memorized scripture, the more that I allowed the Proverbs to begin to inform the way I lived, the more I could see God moving in my life. Like, you might be familiar with these two. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I remember for me, that began to shape my understanding of what are the priorities of my life. What are the boundaries that I should hold? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Is how I began to understand decision-making, communal discernment. The list could go on and on, but you get the point. Wisdom is vital. And I think during this series, I've become more convinced than ever that what the world needs now is wisdom. A heavy dose of wisdom because it seems to be in short supply. John Wilmot, the Earl of Rochester, once said this. Before I was married, I had three theories about raising children. Now I have three children and no theories. That is what I think is true of wisdom. The other day I was in the office and I said to Kevin, what do you think we need to communicate to wrap up and to bring this series to a close? And he said, you often hear the expression that what the world needs is love. And it does. It can always use more love. But maybe... Even more important right now in our society, in our culture, 
in our schools, in our government, in our churches, in our workplaces, any and everywhere, what the world needs is wisdom. A group of kingdom-oriented people like yourself that are making decisions with wisdom, that are conducting relationships with wisdom, entering each workday with wisdom, handling conflict in wisdom, conducting business, counseling others, serving those in need, all with this supernatural wisdom. And I think we can all agree that what is needed is this wisdom. And what's ironic about that is that the scriptures make it really clear in the Proverbs that wisdom wants to be found. Wisdom, lady wisdom, is described in the Proverbs and is described by uh, John in the Gospels as Jesus. This wisdom wants to be found. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. I want you to notice that first and foremost, she wants to be noticed. She wants people to pay attention. She's not like hidden. You don't have to like figure out some maze, some map that goes to a hidden treasure. She's like out in the public square saying, hey, I'm right here, notice me. Because wisdom wants to be found. In addition to that, I think it's interesting and it's important for us, especially as people that are sitting in a church, in a sanctuary, that wisdom is not just found in the church. Right? You notice she's in the streets, in the markets. She's in the business places. She's in the corners. She's in the world. Wisdom is all around wanting to be found, is available, is offering an invitation, is saying, come, seek me, and you will find me. So if wisdom is needed more than ever today, and wisdom wants to be found, then I guess my question is, why does it seem to be in short supply? Why is it that we're not bumping into wisdom more steadily? My suggestion would be this. To really ask ourselves the question, are we looking for wisdom where she grows? Are we looking for wisdom where wisdom is growing? And so we have to ask ourselves, what are the fertile environments that grow wisdom? I want to give you a few this morning that I think can be helpful. The first is wisdom grows in suffering. Wisdom grows in suffering. But I would go a step further to say, not just in suffering, but even more so in the stillness during or after the suffering. And when you're in the moment of suffering, maybe it doesn't feel like wisdom is growing. There's nothing that's being cultivated. But if you can pause, remain still, listen for guidance, it is in those moments that wisdom is cultivated. I was interacting with someone just this week uh, who is, has a life-threatening illness, will likely be terminal. And to sit with this individual, to ask how life is going and to have this person say, would I want this suffering? Answer, no. 
would I choose to go through this again? This is what was stated. The way my relationships have changed, the perspective I have on life, the chance I've had to make sure that I'm right with all people. Hell yeah, I'd go through this again. It's the best thing that's happened. Why? Because the wisdom was gained in the stillness, in the suffering. Something happened in this person that began to change. Because wisdom grows in suffering. Wisdom also grows from the Spirit. In James chapter 1, there's this interesting statement that says that if any of you, all of us, lacks wisdom... Ask God and he gives generously to all without finding fault. He's not looking for, to say, man, I can't believe you don't know. It's not fault finding. Just simply inviting. If you lack wisdom, ask. And it blows my mind the number of times when you ask for wisdom that something supernatural happens that you did not intend. Now, just two weeks ago, I spoke on wisdom as it relates to anger. Um, not often after a service we process it, but I remember going into the office afterwards, said goodbye to everyone, walked in. I think Kevin or Jerusha said, hey, how did you feel like it went this morning? And I literally said, I think that is the worst talk I've given in the last 15 years. It felt awful every single minute of it. I felt like I should apologize to everyone that was listening it was horrible. I wanted to quit right in the middle of it. I don't know what was going on. I don't know what was happening, but I did not want to be a part of it. And it has blown my mind the number of people over the last couple of weeks that have referenced what has been learned or something that the Spirit said that I didn't even say. That is something that happens that's otherworldly, Right? It's the Spirit speaking wisdom to each and every person apart from any of us. We don't need our part of the story at all. And the Spirit can speak with great wisdom. I remember sitting in meetings where I've said, God, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say next. And just sitting there waiting and going, oh no, if you don't show up, this is not good. And the Spirit says one thing into your head, into your heart, into your mind, and you're like, that makes no sense, and if I say that, I'm going to sound like the biggest idiot. And then you're like, well, here goes. <laughs> and then you say it. And then what happens is like, you couldn't have planned it. Unbelievable. Because there's something about the Spirit doing what only the Spirit can do. That is wisdom outside of perception. So wisdom grows in suffering. Wisdom grows when we ask the Spirit. But I really want to focus on these last two because I think they're vital for where we are at as a community, where I'm at personally. Um, and I think our culture is at, honestly. The last two, this one. Wisdom grows in community. Walk with the wise and become wise. Wisdom grows in community. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but many scholars suggest that the book of Proverbs was written, originally written as a manual to be studied 
amongst a group of young men who were supposed to study it within like a collective group of older, wiser men. And they were supposed to go through this period of study for two or three years. So they would just keep going through Proverbs or the wisdom literature over and over and over for two or three years. And they would sit and they'd bring up a proverb. They'd discuss what it meant, its effect on their life, debate it, what really was intended, how does this proverb flesh itself out. And they did that over and over and over for years. What is fascinating by that is this, that it means that Proverbs was written to be cultivated and nurtured in community. It was not meant to be read by yourself alone with the nightlight on or in the morning with a cup of coffee. That's great. Glad that we do it. We should continue to pursue it. But it was written for community. It was written to be discussed. It was written to shape who we are. You and I need what would be called or considered a village of wisdom. We need to be the kind of people that sit in that space and are shaped by a village of wisdom, of wise counsel, of thoughtful people. And we talk about community here a lot, and so I don't want to belabor that point, and I know it's super significant, but I think wisdom truly grows in community, but only if that community has a few kind of conditions to it. I would suggest that community that brings or bears forth wisdom is a challenging community, a community that's willing to push back with each other. Scriptures say that a fool doesn't listen to someone else's instruction, but a wise man receives rebuke and grows. The idea being that if your community can challenge your thinking, if your community can push you to examine something a little bit differently, force you to kind of wrestle with something, then it's probably a community that can cultivate growth. It has to be a humble community, a community that's not into itself, its own ego. It has to be a group of people who actually are open to learning, growing, developing. I also think it has to be a learning community, curious, wondering, questioning, because I am convinced that wisdom does not grow where people tell you only what you want to hear. Wisdom does not grow where everyone in the group is convinced of the exact same thing. Wisdom does not grow where we're afraid to ask questions and receive feedback. Wisdom does not grow in isolation. Wisdom grows in community. And I wonder if some of the reason we're not finding wisdom in our culture today is simply because we are finding less and less or choosing less and less community. I even think there are times we unintentionally choose to disconnect from community and don't realize until maybe it's too late that the effects of not having intentional, challenging, humble, learning community is that it will ultimately really affect collective wisdom. Not just for yourself, that's only a self-centered way of looking at it, but also for the other people you're in community with. So kind of a little pastoral advice, don't drift from community. Don't make excuses for not engaging. 
Don't avoid true community where you're known and you know other people. Lean into it more, not less. Don't slowly pull away from community and then lament you don't feel connected. And that it's probably nobody cares for you. Don't lead a solo life, make decisions, and then blame the world if those decisions don't go well. Wisdom comes, it grows in community. The final idea is this, wisdom grows in obedience. Proverbs 4.1 says, Hear, O sons of fathers, instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. So the word be attentive or in another translation be uh, or pay attention is found eight times in the book of Proverbs. Every single time it's found, it means to hear, to be attentive, or to heed. So in other words, this is what it means. To pay attention is not just to hear something. To pay attention is to obey. That's probably why when your parents said, are you listening to me? They didn't mean, did you hear what I said? What they meant is, if you were listening to me, you would have already done the thing I told you to do. Because hearing and doing is connected. Wisdom is basically saying that obedience doesn't happen from just hearing. It requires living. Our call to worship this morning, Proverbs 4, 1 to 4, makes these statements. It says, hear or obey. Be attentive. Do not forsake. Hold fast and keep. So in this section of Proverbs alone, what you have is a demand for obedience. It's calling us to receive wisdom by saying, listen, receive this wisdom by obeying. Obey the Proverbs. Obey the teaching. It's why when you see 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, there's this story of Saul, the king of Israel. And the prophet comes to him and says, why did you disobey? And Saul basically said, well, I did what I wanted to do. That's my translation, right? I did what I wanted to do. I felt like this would be best, and this is probably what God would want. And Samuel, in that moment, says, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't care what burnt offerings you're offering. I don't care what religious festivals you're demonstrating. I don't care about any of that, nor does God. What God wants, Isaiah 1 makes this really clear too, is obey. You know what you're supposed to do, Saul. Do it. And this is a repeated theme. You look at James, again, chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Obey it. Follow it. James is highlighting this reoccurring theme. Jesus, in his most um, famous speech of all speeches... Right, the Sermon on the Mount, he describes all kinds of fascinating ways of living out kingdom and gets to the very end of the sermon and he ends with an illustration. Typically, preachers put illustrations earlier. Jesus saves the best illustration for last and it's one that all of us heard when we were little, right? He says, 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then we tell the kids, there's this house on a rock, and then there's this house on sand, and then there's this storm that comes. And the one that was on the sand falls, and it's ruined, and his life is horrible, and everything's bad. And the one that was, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the wolves, you know, and the wolf blows on the pig's house. And this one stands because he built it really well, and it was on the right foundation. And then what we usually communicate in Sunday school, and there's nothing wrong with this, but we communicate, build your life on Jesus. He's the solid foundation, and then everything will be okay. When the wind comes, you'll still be fine. But that's not the point Jesus is making. The point Jesus is making is at the very beginning when he says, anyone who hears these words of mine, this entire sermon I just gave you, anyone who hears that, and does it is like the man whose house is firm. He's basically saying the summary of everything I just did and I fed you all these fish and loaves and all that kind of stuff is just obey. Obey. End of story. Do what you know. Follow it. That's what Jesus is communicating. So the verb to listen throughout the scriptures is so important that it's used over a thousand times in the Old Testament and another 400 times plus in the New Testament. So this idea of listening and obedience are directly linked. You cannot hear the teaching and not end up following the teaching. And the reason I think we have a problem with this in our society is because the Western mentality as it relates to this idea of knowledge acquisition, is that I can learn a bunch of stuff and then it doesn't have to translate into anything. And then when people are like, hey, did you know that? You're like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I've always known that. And you're just acquiring knowledge. You're acquiring insight. You're acquiring details. But that knowledge in our culture does not give with it a sense of responsibility to do anything unfortunately. But for the Hebrews, to know is to do. You can't separate them. You can't say, I know it, and then not actually practice it. Because if you're not practicing it, then the answer is you don't know it. You might think you do, but you don't. You didn't know something until you did it. Dallas Willard makes this statement we have generated a variety of religion to which obedience is not regarded as essential. I don't understand how anyone can look ingenuously at the contents of the scripture and say that Jesus intends anything else for us but obedience. Thud, exactly. Right? That, should, that sound should be exactly what we felt when we heard that. That should sting a little bit. We have created in our culture the ability in the church to say, I learned a lot of things, I know a lot of things, I'm a really smart Christian, and then have it not translate to obedience. Jesus' continual call to his disciples was follow me, obey, chase after me. Know me. To know me is to follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's like over and over and over and over. And I don't think that we probably hear that enough. 
I think we have somehow conditioned ourselves to say, I know a lot, but it doesn't necessarily have to translate. In the Psalms, chapter 14, verse 1, there's this statement, you've probably heard it made many times before. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, here's what I find fascinating about this particular psalm and about this particular verse. The reason I put the there is kind of in parentheses is because those two words have been added by translators to create meaning or understanding in the text. So it should read, the fool says in his heart, no God. That's the true rendering of it in the Hebrew would be, the fool says in his heart, no God. Now, that can mean one of two things. It either means that the fool is saying, I have no acknowledgement of there being God. Yahweh doesn't exist, and that's, the text would say, foolish. Foolish idea. The other way that you could interpret or think about this particular one verse, and this would be my guess is to probably a little bit more of what it's communicating. It could be understood to mean that the fool says no to God. So very clear and simple, the fool says in his heart, no thank you, God. So another way of saying that would be this, that when you are in a situation and you hear the Spirit say to you, here's what you should do in this moment, this is how you should respond. This is the decision you should make. The fool says, eh, no thanks, I got it. And does something else. Does the opposite. Does whatever the person wants to do. Right? What the text is trying to communicate, from my perspective, is that there's a key decision to be made. And the key decision is that when the Spirit informs you of something, the answer is to be Yes. And if it's not yes, then I'm the fool. If I hear the Spirit say, give, and then I choose not to give, fool. I don't know why the Spirit said that. It doesn't matter. If it's something you're told, do it. I think half of the reason why we're not attentive or maybe people at times will say, I don't feel like the Spirit ever talks to me. Well, when was the last time the Spirit said something, and then did you do it? That might be the place to go back to. Start there. But that would be like if I said to my child, like, hey, could you do this, please? And then, and then they're like, I can't hear that at all, ever. It makes no sense. And I'm just like, well, I told you to do something. Can we start there? That would be a great place to start. And then after you're done with that, then I'll give you the next thing. Right? We make it complicated sometimes, and I don't know if it is. We're invited into a space where we're just called to say yes, to follow. We're not always going to know why. That's why we have to ask for wisdom. But what we do know is that if the Spirit invites us to do something, the smartest and wisest and best thing to ever do, do it. It's clear. So why do we have a problem with wisdom? I don't know. One of the reasons might be that the greatest test of life is really obedience to God. So where does wisdom grow? It grows 
in suffering. It grows in the spirit. It grows in community. And I think in many ways, most of all, it grows in obedience. Let's pray. God, may we be a community that walks in wisdom. Not because we think we know the answers, because we know we don't. Not because we think we're smart, confident, but simply because we know you are. God, give us the wisdom to recognize that the suffering we're going through will lead us to greater wisdom. That you and the Spirit will lead us to greater wisdom. But please help us not to forget that engaging in true community will gain wisdom. Help us to lean into those relationships. And then God, help us to lean into obedience. May you continue to shape us to be your people. And may we continue to follow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.